Good morning, Veritas. We are continuing um, our, this series of going through the Apostles' Creed, reminding us of the basics of the faith, the foundation we stand on of our, our belief, um, and we're going to quote this together. So if you would uh, join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and in earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This morning, I want to reflect on a question that was asked during our vision meeting uh, about a month ago. And we had this, uh, we did it in both services, first service, second service, and just talking about where, where we're at as a church and where things are going into this next year. And in the midst of all the exciting things that God is doing, the, the numbers of people that are getting baptized, believing, coming to know Jesus, the church is growing, things are going well. This same question was asked both times. And it was the only question asked in both vision meetings. It was, it was hilarious. It was perfect. And it's a haunting question. And it's something that we're all maybe thinking about. How do we, Veritas, keep from becoming a lukewarm megachurch? You know, the question is asked to me like, so, so Mark, what's the plan here? I mean, anyone want to sign up for that? Anyone really excited about Veritas just becoming a, a megachurch? Not me. Like, I don't want to be a part of a megachurch. And I certainly don't want to be lukewarm. And like, what, how do we not become those things, right? And that question has just landed in my heart. And I've been thinking about that a ton. And I think that is the question. That's the question. That's the challenge. How do we not become this big church filled with casual Christian consumers? People that kind of go through the motions, talk about Jesus, but don't really have a a real relationship with him, are not real Jesus-following, radical disciples of Christ in this world? Like, that's a great question. How do we not become a lukewarm megachurch? I think the creed tips us off to the answer this morning. It's, it's right there, embedded in there. I, you could make the case that the whole thing would, would do that. Uh, but I think this statement Our topic this morning, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Maybe we don't talk about this often enough, but I want to start with John 14. Who better to teach us about the Holy Spirit than Jesus? And in John 14, and I just have to give you a warning, like there's going to be a lot of pages turning this morning. We're going to be going to some different parts of our Bible. There may not be pages turning if, you, if you're on your screen, you just click and, and go to the book. But all of these verses will be on 
uh, the screen. If you don't have time to flip there and it seems like we're going too fast, in the bottom left you'll see each one will have um, a, a scripture reference, see John 14. You can write those down if you're having a hard time keeping up and you can go look at them later. Uh, we really want you to see it in the word so you know uh, we're not just making this up. So John 14 Verses 11 and 12, Here's, let me give the context real quick. Jesus is about to leave earth. He's headed to the cross. He's leaving, and that sounds like really bad news to the disciples, but Jesus is preparing them for his departure, and he wants them to know that his leaving is actually good news. Get this, John 14, verse 11. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Now, in John 10, he's just debated with the Pharisees. He's saying, hey, I and the Father are one. Jesus is defending the fact that he is God. He and the Father are one. But listen to where he goes now. He says, verse 12, truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. That is an amazing statement. If I'm one of the 12 disciples, imagining you're hearing Jesus talking about, okay, I'm going to the cross. Here's the game plan, guys. You guys are going to do greater things than I've been doing. Now, that is a ridiculous statement because the disciples just saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. How can it get any greater than that? Jesus leaving, and we're going to do greater things than these. And the second question I would have is, wait, how does you leaving make all this happen? Well, he explains in verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. And be with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. This is why Jesus leaving is good news for us because he is going to send the advocate, the spirit of truth. Now, some of you who are new to your faith, you've heard uh, different references to the spirit. Maybe you've heard Holy Spirit, maybe you've heard Holy Ghost. Uh, if you grew up in a, in a you know, church that maybe used the King James Version, the, the old school, the Holy Ghost, or here Jesus refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Well, sometimes the emphasis is on the personality and character of the Spirit. So you hear Holy Spirit. It's a description of his character. Other times it's a reference to his work and power, like the Spirit of truth. And of truth is really important in this context because Jesus says that the spirit of truth is, is going to be an advocate. Now, this word in Greek, is, it's the word to call someone to be next to you by your side. So an advocate, helper, counselor, someone to stand by you and defend you. Maybe like a lawyer that's constantly with you. We all get our own personal advisor, helper, counselor. I don't know if the word lawyer is a good thing or bad thing in your minds, but 
The Holy Spirit is something like that for us to stand before us and speak truth to us. Verse 17, the second part, he says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And I want to jump down to chapter 16, verse 7, because he kind of continues this theme, but he he lands here. He says, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How could Jesus leaving earth be good news for us? Because in his leaving, he's going to leave with us the greatest gift you could ever imagine. His very presence with each one of us through the Holy Spirit. The first question, we've got a a number of questions that we're going to ask this morning. And the first question is this, who is the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that question, the Holy Spirit is God. And his work is to manifest the active presence of God in the world. I have to thank Wayne Grudem and his systematic theology. Some of you guys who have been through VST, uh, Veritas School of Theology, have read that, that line. And I, I think it's helpful. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And his work is to manifest the active presence of God in the world. Jesus in John 14 is trying to explain to the disciples the Trinity. And we know that God in his very being has always existed in more than one person. Even in Genesis, the account where his name is revealed as Elohim, it's this, in Hebrew, it's this idea of plurality. Even in his name, there's a sense of, whoa, what is, how is God a a plurality? He's always been, existed in more than one person, three persons, yet one God. Jesus says in Matthew 28, after he comes back and he's ready to go to the Father, he says, you know, one of the things he wants us to do is baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's in the name, right? It's not in the names, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's just in the name. One God in three persons. So let's emphasize something from verse 17. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he and him. Now, this is important because it may be hard to describe uh, exactly how this works together, but we see one error that I think we want to avoid is I often hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as it, like it. It is just doing cool things or do you have it in you? Do you have the Holy Spirit But Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he, him. This is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force. 
The Holy Spirit is not an energy. The Holy Spirit is not just like a good vibe, like this good vibe. My, my friend, uh, he kind of, he's a, he's a hippie, okay, <laughs> straight up. Dreadlocks, the whole thing, kind of living, you know, just homeless, showed up with his, with his uh, wife and kid. They were, they were at our house. They stayed overnight. And as he was leaving, he's like, he's like, dude, your house is good vibes, man. Good vibes in here. I'm like, yeah, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, like what you see here and what you're experiencing is not, yes, maybe, uh, yes, good vibes, but that's not who the Holy Spirit is. You didn't say the Father, Jesus, they're just good vibes. No, like Jesus, the person, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Spirit. So some of you are like, can you please just bottom shelf this for us? Can you give us an illustration to explain this? My simple answer is no, I can't. And here's a quote from a really smart guy who also doesn't have words for it. Well, he's got words, but no explanation. Louis Burkhoff, this theologian. It is especially when we reflect on the relation of the three persons to the divine essence that all analogies fail us. And we become deeply conscious of the fact that the Trinity is a mystery far beyond our comprehension. It is the incomprehensible glory of the Godhead. Second question, how do I get the Holy Spirit? For this, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 13. The Apostle Paul explains this. He says, In him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed. The NIV says, having believed. So this, this past event that happened, having believed, you were marked in him, the Holy Spirit, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So here's the question. How would Paul answer this question? How do I get the Holy Spirit? Believe in Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Believe in Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. And when you're saved, you are, as he says, marked in him with a seal, like this stamp of the Holy Spirit. Okay, next question. Can I lose the Holy Spirit? Have you ever wondered that? I'm a Christian and I'm worried that I might lose the Holy Spirit. Well, look at verse 14. He says, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. He's saying, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of heaven, of your inheritance. You were sealed. So, so this permanent residence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian 
is what we call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit. But look at in the end of Ephesians, Ephesians 5, verse 18, he comes back to this idea of the Holy Spirit. He has other things to say about the Spirit, but I think this is important. He says in verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. In the original language, this is a present continuous imperative. Be being kept filled. It's this constant thing that happens. So in Ephesians alone, you have at the beginning, he's talking about being sealed with the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit. And at the end, and that's something that happens when you believe. And it's a passive, like you just receive the Holy Spirit when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. But this is weird because now we have a command in chapter 5 to be being kept filled with the Spirit, this ongoing thing that needs to happen in the life of a Christian. So what is it? Can I lose the Holy Spirit? Here's the simple answer. No. But remember the difference between indwelling and filling. Remember the difference between indwelling and filling. For example, imagine someone hands you a phone, you, you're, you know, the newest iPhone, whatever, Samsung, Galaxy 20,000 comes out or whatever, and they hand you this new phone and, and you, try, you try turning it on and, uh, and it doesn't turn on. And then you try plugging, you're, oh, it just needed some power. So you plug it in and and nothing happens. And you ask your friend, like, well, thanks for the gift, but, like, the phone doesn't work. I, I don't know what's wrong. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's just the phone. Like, it doesn't have any operating system on it. It's just the shell of a phone. It looks like the Samsung Galaxy or iPhone or whatever. And it just, it's, yeah, it's no operating system, and you can't really charge it because there's no battery in it and whatever. And you're like, oh, well, that's nice. What can I do with this phone? It's, it's just a, a physical phone, right? That is a person without the Holy Spirit. Now, when that person becomes a Christian, when that person confesses Christ with their mouth, believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord, what happens? Boom! An operating system inhabits this shell of a phone. And now this thing comes to life, right? The brightness, oh, the beautiful things we can do with the phone. The phone comes to life because now the phone has the indwelling of what? The operating system. So now we have a functioning phone. And so we use that phone and we're excited about the phone. And all of a sudden we see in the upper right, this little thing starts turning red. And we're like, wow, that battery with the red. And what happens? All of a sudden, the sign comes up 20%, 10%. You're like, what do I do? And your phone dies. In the middle of an important conversation, your phone dies. 
and you just look at your phone, you're like, oh no. It's back to what it was before. It's just a shell of a phone now. It's no good. Okay, don't be afraid, right? Because everything's still on it, right? All your pictures, all your contacts, it's still in the phone, right? It still has the indwelling of the operating system, but it's just not powered. It's not useful, right? So what does the phone need? The phone needs to be filled with energy. And so what do you do? You plug in the phone. You connect it to fill the phone so it's powered. So this is one way we can think about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is like the operating system. The connected to the power cord is like the filling of the Spirit. And we as Christians want to stay connected to the Spirit. We don't have much battery life on our own without the power of the Spirit. And so some of you guys are like, I've tried that. I tried plugging it in and it didn't work. Well, all of us have experienced this at one point in our lives. It's that point of connection and someone says, hey, have you ever tried this? And they take out a paperclip and they start digging it out, the little, the little, uh, the port there, and all of a sudden, all this like trash and debris and lint, like you could knit a sweater with this, all the lint, everything that's, that's coming out of your phone, right? It's filled with junk, right? So you can't, you can't connect it. So all of this illustrates the indwelling of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, and how it is that over time we get this junk that blocks our connection and disobedience, rebellion, apathy, sin. Our lives just fill up with junk. And Paul is saying we start getting drunk on wine. We lose sight of our faith. And I think what Paul's saying is it's, it's time to repent. And the way to be filled with the Spirit is to confess your sin, to turn away from your sin, to let the Holy Spirit cleanse you, lead you to Jesus, so that you can be connected with God and, and a Christian who is constantly just filled with the presence of the Spirit. Now, Here's the last question, and there's a lot of points, a lot of things we want to say about this. What does the presence of the Holy Spirit mean for us? What does all this mean? What, another way to ask this question would be, what does a spirit-filled Christian look like? How can we identify someone who is filled by the Holy Spirit? And for this, I want to go to, we're going to be going to a bunch of different scripture, but let's start with Acts 1.8, because this is the first thing that happens after, the, after Jesus is raised from the dead and ascends to heaven. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The first thing it looks like when a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit is boldness. 
boldness, power. He gives you power to proclaim the gospel. Jesus is going to inhabit you guys, disciples, and you're going to go out and you're going to witness for me and incredible things are going to happen. The good news is going to go to that town, that town, that town, Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. It's going to be amazing. This, I think, is what Jesus referred to by the greater things. Remember in John 16, it's good I'm leaving. You're going to do greater things. Think about this. I don't think greater means, refers to the quantity or the, the quality of these miracles. Like, I raised the dead. Dude, you're going to do cooler things than that, right? I don't think that's what it refers to. I think it refers to the quantity, the amount of what God is going to do through each Christian Think about Jesus was one person in one place. If Jesus was on earth today, it's probable that we would never meet him. I mean, there's 7.8 billion people, right? That would take a lot for one human to get to every single person. Even when he was alive, he didn't meet every single person in Galilee, in Jerusalem. You know what I'm saying? But as he leaves, the spirit comes and his presence inhabits all of us. And the first thing that happens is Acts 2, Peter gets up and preaches a sermon. And in one sermon, Peter gets more converts than were recorded in the entire ministry of Jesus. Peter gets up and just is like, hey, Jesus, remember that guy you killed? He's alive. Repent and believe the good news. And all of a sudden, thousands of people get saved. And what are the people's response? They look, Acts 4, when they saw the courage the boldness of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. The first thing is, guys, the power is not us. It's not our gifts. It's not our wisdom. Do you think Veritas Church exists because of all this handful of college students that came here they, they were amazing people. I mean, I'm just looking around. I'm, I'm seeing you guys. Like, I'm looking in the mirror. I'm like, the Errants, the Bodines, the Mullicans. I'm looking around at you guys. It, no offense, but like, nobody here is that amazing. We're just clay pots who contain this, in, this glory of the spirit, and as we announce, hey guys, Jesus is alive. People are like, he is? And we're like, yeah, he is. And they come to know Jesus by the bold witness of his followers. And for the next one, I wanna go to John 16, verses seven through 11. Jesus, in continuing to teach us about the Spirit, says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, listen to this. What will he do? Look at verse 8. He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will no longer see me and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Here's what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit. 
Hey, disciples, hey, Veritas, you and I, in all of our wisdom and power and power of persuasion and words, we are unable to move someone's heart even a millimeter closer to Jesus. Even a nanometer. In all of our wisdom and power, we are unable to convince anyone that Jesus is Lord. But here's what's so freeing, and here's the great news. You don't have to do that. That is what Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do. So the second thing that happens because of the Spirit in us and in the world is conviction. He saves people. The Holy Spirit saves people. So you don't have to be trying to be the Holy Spirit for people. You just speak the truth, right? You do have to point them to the truth. You speak the truth and let God do the work. That's his work of convicting the world in regard to sin, righteousness, judgment to come. Think about your own story. If you're a Christian, isn't it a miracle? Don't you ever just ask the question like, how did I become a Christian? And I remember how I came to know Jesus. And I'm like, it's all a miracle. Yeah, that's because the Holy Spirit did it. Third thing, Romans 8, verse 14. And there's so many more things we could say, but I'm just trying to, to, to highlight some things that the Spirit does when the Holy Spirit comes in you. 8.14 of Romans, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Listen, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's Children, remember earlier, we said that the Holy Spirit was like a lawyer, an advocate who stands at our side. He's the spirit of truth. If you could ask the Holy Spirit, just microphone, hey, Holy Spirit, what do you do? What's one really important thing you do? And you hand him the mic. What does Paul say in Romans 8? What does the Spirit do? He testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. He reminds us, this is the third point here, he, he gives us confidence. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with confidence. He reminds you of who you are. He reminds you in those, at 2 or 3 a.m. when you can't sleep and you have those condemning thoughts, you wake up and your first thought is, I'm just a horrible person, I'm a failure. I'm just a general failure. I'm going to fail the upcoming test. I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad dad. I'm a terrible employee. All is lost. My life is a mess. I don't know, you know, just those condemning thoughts that we all have. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He's like, oh, no, you're a child of God. He testifies to us. He reminds us of who we are. He speaks the truth to us. You're a child of God. This is what's really true about you. And he gives us that confidence. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, the fourth thing, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. 
Every other sin a person commits is outside his body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Look at verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. The fourth thing, a spirit-filled Christian. This is what it looks like, holiness. He, the Holy Spirit, inhabits your body. This is why Paul is making the case here in 1 Corinthians 6. How could a Christian take their body into sexual immorality? It's like you're, you're dragging the presence of God into temple prostitution or something like this. Your body belongs to God. And the way that you stay filled with the Holy Spirit is you offer your body to the Holy Spirit. You offer your hands, your actions. You offer the Holy Spirit your tongue and you say, Holy Spirit, no longer me, but you control my eyes, control my tongue, my ears, my hands. I am not my own. I belong to you. And this holiness is not just about what we don't do. It's about what we do. The presence of God in us doesn't mean just like, I don't go there. I don't look at this. I don't do this. I don't watch this. I don't drink that. I don't. No, it's more about the Fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5 talks about, instead be filled with the Spirit. He says, it's obvious, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, holiness begins to come out in the form of fruit. And this is how some of you are seeing your life transformed. You gave your life to Jesus and all of a sudden you're talking differently. You're watching different things. Things that you used to laugh at, you're not like, it's not so funny anymore. Like, all of a sudden, you're watching that, hey, we should watch this YouTube, and you're watching it with your Christian friends. All of a sudden, you're like, ooh, maybe that's not as funny as I thought it was back then because the Holy Spirit is in you. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, new has come. The Spirit is in you, transforming you. Now you're all of a sudden, you're forgiving people. You're loving people. You used to be filled with outrage, rage, anger. And now all of a sudden, your comments on Facebook change. Your social media changes. What you listen to changes because your body is a temple. Now, let me end with this. I want to end with a fair critique of Veritas Church. Because some of you may have come out of churches that emphasized the work of the Holy Spirit, maybe more than what you see at Veritas. And you wonder, is Veritas a spirit-filled church? I mean, I don't see people speaking in tongues and doing the things that I see at our church. Well, there's so much more we could say about the work of the Holy Spirit. And yes, we believe in all that, right? The miracles, the, the gifts of the Spirit. There's so much more we could talk about. But some of your critique might be, it seems like in Veritas, it's like Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? It's like, are we Bible deists here? Like God gave us the Bible and just like, well, good luck. Here it is. Read it. Start doing it. Uh, I think that's a fair critique. 
It would be a huge mistake to diminish the person and work of the Holy Spirit. However, I want us to think about what Jesus says in John 16. And I I just want to point out the last verse of this in 14. So, okay, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Look at, this is John 16, 14. He will what? What will the Holy Spirit do? He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Here's the last thing I want you to know. And this is maybe a little bit of an answer to why we don't emphasize the Holy Spirit more. This last point is that the Holy Spirit is Christ-centered. He makes Jesus the focus. And this is an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit is not God Jr. Like, well, there's God. He's really important. And then the Holy Spirit's not. No, the Holy Spirit is God. But his role, he takes on the role of a servant by constantly pointing you back to Jesus. That's probably why we don't sing about the Holy Spirit more and make him the foot. Not that that's wrong, and that's good to remember, but we, we see here in John that Jesus is saying, he's gonna draw attention to me. Even in the book of Revelation, you see these people glorifying the crucified yet risen Savior. And so let me ask, just kind of land with this. A great way to end a sermon on the Holy Spirit is to ask the question, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you ever surrendered your body and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ? This morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking and he's saying, look at Jesus and be saved. We started with this question, how does Veritas keep from becoming a lukewarm church? How does something become lukewarm? If I had a boiling pot of water and I set it up here on this stand, what would happen to that water? Eventually, over time, it would become room temperature. Remove the fire from the water and it's lukewarm. Eventually, our tendency as humans is to go into self-sufficiency mode. Give me one day without time with God and surrendering my soul to Jesus, and guess what? Remove the fire, and I become like a pot of water that becomes lukewarm. Church, this morning, as we reflect on the Holy Spirit, I don't know about you, but I want the fire in my life. Let's, would you pray with me? as we close. And I just want to invite you, and during this last worship set here that we have to invite the Holy Spirit to examine your heart and speak to you and just beg him. Yes, Jesus, your church, we want the power of the Spirit. We invite you to come have your way in us. 
Holy Spirit, guide us, lead us, use us for your glory.